And someday, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess. Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. I sure hope you are as well. Amen. I hope you can say that tonight, that you're looking forward to the day that Christ returns from glory. Amen. And I'm looking forward to that day. And we're glad to be here again tonight with you. Thank you so much again, Pastor, for letting us come here and be a part of the service and letting me stand behind the pulpit tonight. What a blessing that is and a privilege. And um, we have a burden for the German-speaking people. And uh, we want to see these people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, we want to see these people get saved. And I have a great burden for the German people. I know a lot of people over there. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of acquaintances. And a lot of folks that I've known through the years growing up uh, that still are in great need of the gospel. Amen. And uh, the German people, like I said this morning, the German people are very cold spiritually toward the gospel. It's a very hard country. It's a very hard people to reach with the gospel, uh, to make a German understand uh, that they're lost. And because of their sin, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Because of their sin, it separates us from God. Amen? Uh, They don't understand that. They don't understand that they're a sinner. They truly believe they're good people. And so uh, we have to, they have to first understand that. Amen? That they're lost and that they're a sinner. And, uh, And so... Uh, there's a great need for the gospel over there. A lot of false teachers, a lot of false religions, uh, the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church. We have a lot of atheists now. It's a growing religion. That's what it is. It is a belief, and uh, it's growing over there. And uh, we also have a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses in Germany and a lot of Muslims in Germany. Islam is really, really growing rapidly. And uh, pray for us. Pray for our safety over there. Uh, we really do stick out, um, and, uh, and so uh, we have a lot of, uh, due to the politics over there, they're letting in a lot of the um, immigrants and the asylum seekers from North Africa and from some of these Muslim countries, and, uh, you know, I'm all for helping people and everything like that, but we have to be careful. Uh, some of these people coming in, 85 to 90% of these asylum seekers that are coming into our country, into Germany, are all male. And they're all Muslim male. And, uh, and so there's a problem with that over there. There's a problem with our safety. When we were over there this last summer, I'll say this, and then we'll get into uh, the message tonight. When we were over there this last summer, about 30 minutes north of us in Stuttgart, maybe some of you know where that's at. Maybe you were there in the military. Uh, we have some military in Stuttgart, Germany. And about 30 minutes uh, north in Stuttgart, Germany, uh, while we were there, uh, there's this uh, beheading that took place over there, and it was just a Syrian refugee that didn't like the way someone was looking at him on the street, and, uh, and so it's dangerous, it's dangerous over there, it's starting to become, I, would never, I never thought I would say that, Pastor, about Germany, it's starting to become dangerous over there to walk alone on the streets, I grew up going to the German public school, and um, when we first got there, all of the neighbors told my mom that, yes, the kids just walked to school every morning. And she was like, well, not my kids are not walking to school every morning because, you know, we come from the States. You wouldn't do that here, really, necessarily. That's dangerous to walk on the streets here as a child. And, uh, and so when we got there, that was the norm. Now that's kind of going away. Even that's starting to go away. Germany's changing. And so pray for us. Pray for our safety. Uh, the way we act, the way we uh, conduct ourselves, the way we dress, the way we are separated uh, definitely puts just a big, huge bullseye on the back of our backs as Christians. And, uh, and that's their target, amen? And uh, they don't like us, they don't like the gospel, and they don't like Jesus Christ, amen? And uh, that's what they don't like. And so pray for us, for our safety over there. And if you have your Bibles tonight, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 tonight. And uh, I want to give you something, Lord willing, that will help you tonight. It will be a blessing, an encouragement. And if you're born again tonight, you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior then just like myself, you also have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. And He dwells inside of me. And I'm thankful tonight for the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I'm thankful tonight for the Holy Spirit. And I remember August 2nd, 1999, when I was just a six-year-old boy, asking Jesus Christ, come my heart, understanding that I was a sinner at the age of six and I needed a Savior. And I asked Jesus to come my heart and save me. And I'm thankful for that tonight. Amen? And that's when the Holy Spirit moved in, and he's, he's been there ever since. Amen? And uh, if you're saved tonight, he's there as well. 
And uh, sometimes, Pastor, some folks look at me like they don't know what I'm talking about, about the Holy Spirit. And uh, if that's the case, you need to get that taken care of tonight. Amen. And uh, let the Holy Spirit convict you into getting saved. Amen. And, uh, and so, Acts chapter 9 tonight. Acts chapter 9. And this is the passage of Saul's conversion. Thank you for standing. I was about to ask you to do that. In Acts chapter 9, this is Saul's conversion. And this was when Saul accepted Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And I believe it was right there and then that Paul accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. I don't believe it was an hallucination. I don't believe it was some kind of dream that he was having when the light shone down from heaven. I believe that it was real. And that the Lord met Paul on the road to Damascus. And it was right there and then when Paul accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. But not only that, right after that moment, Christ gave Saul a calling. He called him to be a minister. He called him to be a witness, to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look there in verse number 20, Acts chapter 9, verse number 20. We're going to look at three passages uh, this evening, and then you can be seated, and I'll be quick, and then we'll go over to Psalms 119 while you're still standing. Read that chapter, and then you can be seated. No one got it. After, oh, they're starting to, amen, praise the Lord. Some people are paying attention. Acts chapter 119, Amen. And I was with a preacher one time, and he had me read that to the audience before he preached, and everybody was standing for it, for Psalm 119, amen. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, amen, this evening, so you can be thankful for that, amen. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse number 20, the Bible says there, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues. And what did he preach about Christ in the synagogues? In verse number 20, the Bible says that he is the Son of God. I want to focus on that first part of that verse right there. The Bible says, and straightway, straightway, Paul was obedient. Christ gave Paul a calling, and the Bible says that he went immediately and obeyed the calling that God had given him, and he went immediately and started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 9, verse number 36. We're going to read a few verses here. And this is another person right here, a different type of person. And really we don't know very much outside of this right here about Dorcas. But the Bible says in verse number 36, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works and almond deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. And pay attention right here in verse number 39. This describes Dorcas uh, very well. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Here we see a different type of person. Here we see Dorcas of Joppa. And Dorcas was just a simple servant. and She was a servant of the Lord. She just wanted to serve the Lord. And it was so important that even the Holy Spirit had it here jotted down for us to even know about Dorcas. And she was just a mere simple servant. Then turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 5, our last passage real quick. And then you can be seated. Acts chapter 5, in verse number 40, we're going to read three Verses here, Acts chapter 5 and verse number 40. And the Bible says this there. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles, and did what to them? Beaten them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, complaining. Whining. No, the Bible says rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. These men right here were cut from a different cloth, brother. And these men right here were very courageous. Here we see a different type of person. I want to give you a message entitled this tonight. If you're taking notes, that'd be great. The, my message tonight is entitled this, Three Types of Christians God is Looking For. Three Types of Christians God is Looking For. And you may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer Quickly here, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so very much for your dear Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent over 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for our sins, that we can know for sure, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13, that we can know that we have eternal life, 
And Lord, I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, has never been a personal decision in their life to understand that they're a sinner and because of their sin, they cannot enter into heaven. That they would get that taken care of tonight. That they would see their need for a Savior and their need for the gospel tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would just give me the words to say tonight. Give me clarity of thought. Put a hedge of protection about us. And give us some, something from the Word of God, Lord, that will be a blessing and convict us tonight, Lord, uh, to be better Christians for the cause of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Three types of Christians God is looking for. And I've got three points for you tonight. The first type of Christian that God is looking for is the obedient type. God's looking for the obedient type. Here we see in Acts chapter 9, go there for reference sake, Acts chapter 9, verse number 20, the Bible says, and straightway, immediately, he went immediately and obeyed the calling that God had given him for his life. God is looking for someone tonight to heed the calling that he's given them. He needs you and I to be obedient. Paul says in Acts chapter 26, by the way, this is the account where Paul is standing before King Agrippa and he's giving his last account why he should not be imprisoned here. And he's standing there in bonds and he starts to give his last appeal. And what he really starts to do is he starts to give his salvation testimony. By the way, that is your greatest tool, your most favorite tool to use when you're witnessing to the lost person is your personal salvation testimony. You say, well, I'm not really good, an outgoing type of person. I'm not really good with speaking to lost people. Just tell them what happened to you. Just tell them your story. Just tell them your salvation testimony. And that's what Paul was doing in Acts chapter 26. And he tells King Agrippa there in verse number 19, he says, listen, for I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. Paul was the obedient type. Paul did exactly what God had called him to do. Pastor, I firmly believe that we have several folks, whether it be young people, whether it be old people, whether it be middle-aged people, who are not obeying the call of God that God has given for their lives. They're not obeying it. They have their own plans. Folks have their own agendas. Young people have their own ideas and their own ambitions and their own wants and their own desires, and folks just don't want to obey the calling that God's given them for their life. Now listen, the call of God is different uh, for each and every one of us. I believe that I'm going to be a missionary. Some people are called to be a pastor. Someone might be called to do this or do that. But the call of God oftentimes is something that we just don't want to do. It could be a hard task. It could seem like a difficult task. It could seem like an impossible task. I tell you, starting out on deputation seemed like an absolute impossible task. God's looking for the obedient type. Jonah didn't want to go to the city of Nineveh, but God called him there. And listen, listen to me tonight. Listen, young person, he can and he will get your attention. He can. When I was a sophomore in Bible college, I had just bought my first car, and it was a Honda Accord. And uh, boy, I was really proud of the car. And it was my very first one, and so I kept it uh, waxed and shined and cleaned up all the time and always vacuumed out and put a new scent always in the car and always had it nice and everything. And boy, I really enjoyed my car. A friend of mine came over from Germany and he said, you know what, I want to go visit somewhere. And I said, where do you want to go? And he said, I want to go to Dallas, Texas. I said, why do you want to go to Dallas, Texas? He said, well, Dirk Nowitzki plays down there. He's a German and he plays basketball. And he said, I want to go there. I said, okay, I'll take you to Dallas, Texas. We got in the car. We drove down there from Oklahoma City and we got to Dallas, Texas and we got in a huge accident. I mean, it was a huge car. Totaled, absolutely crushed my car, my little Honda Accord. Now, I had just got through paying off my Honda Accord two months before that. I got back to the campus there at Bible College. and You know how Bible College students are. They don't have really any money. They're poor. And I said, man, I'm looking for a car. I need a car. And I started telling folks there in the church, and someone walked up to me and said, I have a car I'm selling to, and I can sell it to you for $300. I said, that's the car for me right there, brother. I will buy your car for $300. I didn't even need to look at it. I said, I'll buy it right here. Bought it from him, got in the front seat of the car, and found out why it was for $300. It's not what you're thinking. And everything worked just fine, but it was a stick shift. Come to find out, not very many young people or people in general in the States don't drive stick shift anymore. And in Germany, that's all they drive generally. And so I knew how to drive a stick shift, got in the car, started driving it around. And one thing you know, if you're driving a stick shift, if you've ever driven one, you really feel like you're in a race car. You really feel like you're in control of the car. 
And boy, this was a 1995 Honda Accord. I mean, a four-cylinder engine, really small. I mean, it sounded like a weed-eater engine going down the road. And I thought I was the stuff in this thing. Man, I was driving it all over, putting the clutch in, kicking it into gear. And I thought I was the stuff. I had my best friend, Jake. He was sitting beside me. We were out on bus visitation on a Saturday. And by the way, I commend churches that have a bus ministry. Praise the Lord for that. I believe God blesses churches that have an interest in bringing young people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I uh, thank you for that. Thank you for the bus ministry. And we were out visiting our bus kids there on that Saturday afternoon. And uh, we were trying to get them to come to church. And by the way, that is the most important time to these young people is when those people from church come by on Saturday. Those young people loved that. That was the highlight of their week. They loved it when we came by. And I remember we were there and we were going down a street. And Pastor, you know the Avenue, May Avenue. I was going down May Avenue on the northwest side. And we were going down the street there on our bus route. And I was going down a hill in a 35 zone. And I was going about 50 miles per hour. Boy, I was going fast. There was a light mist coming down that morning. And I said, Jake, watch this. And I'm shifting it into gears and showing him how I can rev that thing up and all this kind of stuff. And he said, you're going awful fast. I said, don't tell me how to drive. I know what I'm doing. And this truck comes up the road on May Avenue. And it's coming up quick. And I get down that avenue. And Jake says, that, that truck's coming up awful quick, Jake. You better put on your brakes. I said, I know. I put on the brakes. And the back of my car just started to fishtail. My, my steering wheel was just going wild. It was going all over the place. I mean, I lost complete control of the vehicle. My vehicle came right up to the truck, and this was an act of God because physically and in physics, this would never work out, never happen. But my car went into the oncoming traffic lane, did a complete turnaround in the oncoming traffic lane while going by the truck, came back into the lane where the truck was in, where we started, in the right direction, hit the curb, took out my suspension of my car, but we didn't touch anybody. We didn't touch the truck. We didn't get hurt. Nothing happened. But I'm telling you, listen, at that moment when we were going by that truck, a lot of things started coming to my mind. The life that I was living, the life that I was living for Christ, was I living a godly lifestyle for Christ? Was I having a good relationship with the Father? Was I having a fellowship with the Father? And all these things started coming to my mind. And I'm telling you tonight, He can and He will get your attention. God's looking for the obedient type. The obedient type. Young person, he's looking for the obedient type. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse number 19, and verse number 20, it tells us that we are not our own. For we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you and I are not our own, but we are God's. You and I are God's alone. God's looking for the obedient type. Not only is he looking for the obedient type, but secondly tonight, He's also looking for the servant type. The servant type. Turn over that passage there in Acts chapter 9, verse number 39. Read that real quick with me tonight. Verse number 39, the Bible says, Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. Dorcas of Joppa was a servant. She was a servant. God isn't looking for the talent. Listen, young person, God's not looking for the well-dressed, the well-sung, the well-spoken, anything like that. God's not looking for talent. God's just simply looking for a mere and simple servant. Someone that is sold out to the things of God and wants to do exactly what God wants them to do and wants to live a life that is honorable and pleasing and is searching for the adoration of God. God's looking for the servant type. Someone that just wants to serve God. Servant. That's what he's looking for. Are you a servant? You have a servant's heart. Could someone say that about you tonight? Friend, could someone say that you have a servant's heart? That you love to serve the Lord? Let me ask this question. What are you doing right here at your local church, at your home church? Are you involved? Are you serving? God's simply looking for a servant. Now, Job chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible tells us this is the conversation that Christ is having with Satan, and he says, Hast thou considered whom? My servant Job. 
My servant Job. Job was a servant of the Lord, and he just wanted to serve the Lord. Listen, you say, preacher, what's the best way that I can serve the Lord? How do we serve the Lord the best and the most effective way? I'll tell you how it's in our local church. Why? Because Christ bled, and Christ died, and Christ rose for the local church, for the bride of Christ, and he's all about the local church. Get involved in your local church. God's looking for a servant. He's looking for a servant right here in this church. Traveling on the road, we've seen several ministries, and like I said this morning, this is our 162nd church. By the end of our deputation, we'll be at close to 200 churches that we've been in. And it's been a blessing being able to see all these ministries. We've been in some wonderful ministries, some great ministries, and some thriving ones, some that are just also sort of having a hard time maybe going through a rough patch. But, you know, that's all right. And they're sticking with it, amen. They just keep on having church and keep showing up. And folks just keep on being faithful and keep showing up in their place. We've been in several churches, but we've seen also several churches on the road that are compromising left and right on things. They're compromising on several ministries that are absolutely vital to the local church. Absolutely vital. Soul winning is basically gone in most of our churches. I know that we're supposed to be a soul winner and a witness all all day, every day. I believe in that. I do. I believe in that. But sometimes the church also has an organized soul winning, and folks don't ever show up for that anymore. We've got to get back to soul winning. The Sunday school, there's a reason for Sunday school. I enjoyed the Sunday school this morning. Boy, it really fed my soul. I really can grow in Sunday school. It's important to get involved with the Sunday school. Oh, I'm telling you, there was the bus routes, there's the nursing home ministries, the teen class, the junior church, the sound system, the offerings, the special music. You can get involved. And listen, God's looking for someone that just wants to get involved and wants to serve Him and wants to be a simple servant. That's what God's looking for. Are you involved right here at Riverside Baptist Church? Are you involved? We were in a missions conference in South Carolina this last year, this last fall. And I love missions conference. Do you love missions conference? Pastor, you love missions? I love missions conference. You say, well, Dell, you love missions conference. You're a missionary. True. But I've always loved missions conference. My parents at a very young age had instilled me to give toward missions, faith promise missions, and I've always given to missions and as a six-year-old boy, I started giving to Faith Promise and giving a mo- an, an amount every month. And, and I thank them for that because God will bless you for giving to missions. God blesses that. I remember giving to missions ever since then. And my wife and I, we still give to missions today. I think it's important. And it's the heartbeat of God is missions. And so we were in this missions conference in South Carolina. And boy, we were having... A great time. I mean, it was a great missions conference. There was about eight missionaries there. And, you know, oftentimes there's a missions conference maybe has two or three or four. And it's always a sweet and great time. And this missions conference, eight missionaries at this conference. I mean, we were having a wonderful time. I love it. The preacher got up to preach. He was about six foot six. Boy, he was a big man. Standing behind the pulpit and started preaching the word of God. And boy, he was preaching a strong message. I remember the message till tonight. Boy, it was one of those messages that started just really stepping all over my toes. You know what I'm talking about? I love those kind of messages. Those are the kind of messages that the Holy Spirit uses to convict us, to make us to be better Christians for the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It gets you to thinking. And boy, he was talking about foreign missions. He started to talk about how you here as well have missionaries that are on foreign fields all over the globe, taking the gospel to Thailand and taking the gospel over to Mexico and taking the gospel to Germany and maybe to the 1040 window and some of these missionaries in the persecution that they're in and still taking the gospel to some of these countries. And he started to talk about foreign missions and then he started talking about home missions. And that's when the amens just started going away. And he started talking about home missions, and boy, it was convicting me. I was thinking about, man, I travel on the road a lot as a missionary. I'm traveling in my car, and we go from one spot and one church to the next, one hotel to the next, and oftentimes, I get caught up and I get busy. 
And I forget about being a witness. Amen. Sometimes you just forget about maybe grabbing a few of these and walking up to somebody and giving them a track, giving them a gospel track. Giving them an invitation to church to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to go out there and compel them to come in and hear the gospel. Amen. How else are they going to hear it if they don't hear the preaching of the word of God? And boy, he was talking about home missions and man, he was talking about soul winning and all this good stuff. And I said, man, he's one of these messages where he's really just starting to, starting to tep, step on everybody's toes. And I said, man, it's going to get real here in a minute. And he comes down and he sat down on the very front row. And he sits down on the front row and he turns around and he looks at this gentleman and his wife sitting here. And he says, sir, what's your name? He said, my name's John. He said, John, let me ask you a question. He says, that missionary over there, going to Mexico, gets over to Mexico, and he just sits on the beach all day, just chilling out on the beach, really doing nothing, vacationing all the time, and your church supports him monthly. He said, what do you think this church should do? That gentleman said, well, you know, I, I, think, I think we'd probably drop him. He yells over at that missionary and he says, Brother, does that sound about right? Can this church drop you if, if you're doing all that? And he says, Yes, sir, they can. He looked back at that gentleman and he said, John, let me ask you one last question. He said, Who cuts your pay when you're not a witness here? It was about that time, Pastor, I said, Lord, don't let him come to my pew. Boy, I needed that. We need that sometimes. I remember he ended the message and he had the altar call, by the way, the most important time of the service, and he had the altar call, and I came down as fast as I could down to that altar, and I started praying to God, Lord, uh, start a fire in me, start something in me, reignite me for the things of God, reignite me for soul winning, and to be a witness and to tell folks about the gospel. Listen, every day we have hundreds, if not thousands of folks that are lost, and they're on the way to a dying hell, and they walk past us, and we don't have compassion, the Bible says, and some having compassion, making a difference. Where's your compassion? Do we have compassion? Soul winning. It's important that we reach the world. We must want to serve the Lord. Not have to. We must want to serve the Lord. I want to serve Him. Do you want to serve him? Do you want to be a servant tonight? The primary job of the local church is to what, church? To evangelize the world. That's the primary job. That's the job of this church body right here, is to reach the lost and dying world with the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, I love VBS. My father got saved when he was 14 at a VBS by Miss Tilly Brooks. I thank the Lord daily for Miss Tilly Brooks for saving my father when he was 14 years of age. I love VBS. I love the extra events. I love the extra things that we have during the summer for the young people. I love all of those things. But listen, all of those things are for one thing and for one thing only, and that is for the furtherance of the gospel. This isn't a social gathering here. We're on a mission here as a church. Amen. That's right. We're on a mission to evangelize the world. And then thirdly tonight, God's not only looking for the obedient type and the servant type tonight, but He's also looking for the courageous type. Courageous type. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 40. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 40. We were there a little bit earlier. Turn your Bibles there if you would. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 40. And to him they agreed when they had called the apostles and beaten them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And let them go. I don't know about you, but Scripture like this, passages like this, just really speak to me. 
I get sometimes I start to get a little emotional about these kind of things because these are our brethren right here, brothers in Christ. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I believe these men were courageous. Do you believe these men were courageous? I believe they were courageous. I believe they were bold. Listen, folks, we need some more men in our churches. We need some more courageous Christians in our churches today. And I think about our Christians in China, our brothers and our sisters in China. And I think about our brothers and our sisters in the 1040 window countries. Listen, if you don't know what I'm talking about, grab one of the prayer letters from one of the missionaries that you support here and read about the persecution that some of these churches go through. I think about some of these folks that have suffered persecution for just meeting and assembling like we are here tonight. And I think about the pastors and the preachers just like myself and like your pastor here and like several of the men here probably in this room that have suffered the persecution for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I think those men are courageous. Those men are bold. Those men stand for what they believe in. and Stand for the faith. And we need some more men like that in our churches today. We need some more Christians that are courageous. And let me tell you tonight, may God help us to be the men that he would have us to be. We need men in our churches, and churches need men who will serve faithfully, honor the Lord consistently, and support the pastor loyally. We need men who are doctrinally sound and separated, not concerned with fitting into the mold of the world, but we also need men, listen, in our community, and the community needs men of integrity and honesty, men who will stand up for the morality and virtues and stand against the indecencies and the perversion that this world has to offer. We need men in the workplace. And we need men who are not sold out to the philosophies of the world and are willing to honor Christ before their peers. Men who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ or the word of God. Where are the men? Where are the men? Where are the Christians? We must stand up, especially during these times. We've got to stand for the faith, for our beliefs, for the Bible, for the cause, for Jesus Christ, for our Savior, for the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega. We must stand. Amen. God's looking for the courageous type. When I was a Teenage boy, let me ask this question. Anybody in here like to read? We have anybody that likes to read? Several people. All right. Everybody saw the kids raise their hands. Parents, did you see that? They all raised their hands, every one of them. They said, I love to read. I can't stand it. I have a hard time sitting down, opening a book, being quiet, and just reading a book. I have a hard time with that. I always have to be doing something. I always have to be going and doing something. I love sports. I've always... I uh, played sports, I love the game of basketball, and I love ping pong, I love all that stuff, and my dad got me involved and started on that a long time ago, and he always used to play against me and all these things, and when I was in Germany, I got really involved with a lot of soccer, and that's what they'd play over there, and uh, it, it's not as weenie of a sport once you really play it over there. It gets intense, believe me, and, uh, and so uh, I saw some crazy things on a soccer field, and um, anyway, I got involved in sports, I loved the game, and I loved to play, and I loved to run, I loved it all, and enjoyed it, and so I'd always come and tell my dad, let's go and let's do this thing, let's go do something, and you know, he started saying, you know, I've got to prepare for my messages for Sunday, or I've got to prepare for Wednesday night messages, or I've got to do, you know, some work, paperwork in the office, you know, those kind of things come up, and I couldn't stand it when he would say that kind of stuff can't stand that stuff. And he'd say, son, you just need to leave me alone. You're bothering me. He said, go to my office, pick out a book, sit down, be quiet, and read it. And I really hated that. 
I said, man, I should have walked away when I could. But I didn't. So I go in his office, start looking for a book, and I was thumbing through all the books. You know how it is. They're all looking like they're boring, really boring covers and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, man, I'm really having a hard time finding a book here. Finally, I came across a book, probably the thinnest book on his shelf, and uh, started looking at it. And it was a, it was a picture of a man's hand uh, that was a black and white picture. And it looked like the hand was in stress and kind of like in pain and agony. And uh, it had chains hanging down from the hand. And I said, man, what in the world is this? So I grabbed it and I looked at it. And the title of the book was Tortured for Christ. You've probably heard of the book. It was written by a man by the name of Richard Wurmbrand. And it was about him, actually, Richard Wurmbrand. And uh, Richard was a preacher in communist Romania in the early 1900s. And he was a part of the underground church when the communists had moved in from the Soviet Union and they had banned the gospel and they had banned the word of God and they had banned the preaching of the word of God and nobody was allowed to have church that didn't endorse the communist regime. And Richard was a bold man. He was a courageous man and he kept preaching the gospel in the underground church there in Romania. And they found him and they imprisoned him for 14 years. They put him in a communist prison for 14 years. Years and he said it was miserable. It's a terrible prison. And he said, They took me to prison, and Pastor, they said that they threw me into the prison cell, and he said there were cells all around. And he said, I mean, it was terrible. There were rats everywhere and all this stuff. And he said he could hear everybody was sick, coughing all over the place. And he said, as they were throwing him into the prison cell, he said he realized once he got in there, and after talking to the other gentleman in there, that he, they had thrown him into the cell with all of the other Baptist preachers in town. And he said they made a mistake. We weren't allowed to have the Word of God, he said, but we all knew so much Scripture and had memorized and remembered so much Scripture. He said it was like we had the Word of God right there, the whole Word of God. He said we started preaching. And we started singing. He said, some of the other cells, some of the other prison cells around us, he said, the thieves and the murderers and all the other criminals started accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And he said, boy, we started having revival right there in that communist prison. And he said, they started lifting up their voices and singing unto the Lord. And he said, then we'd have preaching. And he said, those communist guards, those Satanist guards could not stand it. They hated it. He said they would come into the cell and they would grab the preacher who was preaching by the collar of the shirt and drag him out of the cell and take him down the corridor, take him down the hallway and take him to another room. And he said, it was me that one time. And he said, they took me down the hallway and took me to that room. And I was there for hours of torture and pain and persecution. He said, they broke all of the bones in my body. He said, I literally was limp. I could not even stand up. And they would taunt me, he said, and say, where's your God now? Give it up and we'll let you go. We'll let you see your wife and your children. And he would not. And they'd have to drag him back to the cell. And he says this right here. He says, as they're dragging him back to the cell, he said, I could hear from afar the other preachers preaching. Singing, knowing exactly what was about to come to them. He said, they would throw me back in the cell, and he said, they would grab the next preacher, and he said, I would sit up on the, uh, on, the, on the cell right there. I'd sit up on the wall right there and get enough strength to sit upright. And he said, as I would sit upright, he said, I would just start preaching all over again. He said, we made a deal with the guards. We preach, you be. We'll all be happy. These men were courageous. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for courageous men. He's looking for the courageous type. 
Where are the men? Acts chapter 13 and verse number 51. They had just suffered persecution for the cause of Jesus Christ right there as well after preaching the gospel of this town. And the Bible tells us that they shook the dust off their feet and kept moving forward to the next town to bring the gospel to the next town. And listen, Christian, people have hurt you perhaps. I don't know your story. I don't know what's happened to you, but maybe they've treated you the wrong way perhaps. Maybe people have spoken to you the wrong way perhaps and just treated you very much in the wrong. Shake it off and keep serving God. Just shake it off. Be courageous. Be obedient. Be a servant. Be courageous. That's the type of job looking for. Let me finish with this story right here and I'm done. Hope I haven't kept you too long tonight. I love Baptist history. Pastor, do you love Baptist history? I love Baptist. I love reading about Baptist history. I don't like to read a lot, but if I do, it's about Baptist history. And what some of our heritage that we have and what some of the people went through so that you and I could have this book right here tonight. By the way, I like what the pastor said this morning. I love this book. Do you love this book? I think so oftentimes it becomes like tradition to us, a ritual. Just to bring this book to the church house. I'm a Christian. I've got it right here. I don't know, if Pastor, if young people sometimes understand what, what this book means. I don't know if we're teaching them that. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. What is that? What is the Word of God? What does it mean to, to you? Boy, I love it, the price that was paid that you and I have this book right here. I think some of the men and the women that have died, the martyr's death, you and I could have this translate this book right here, the holy and pure word of God. I'm thankful for that this evening. Some countries don't have that. I think of it like this sometimes. The God who created you, the God who created me, the God who created everything, the same God who came down and died on a cross and bled and died, and arose three days later, became, came into the flesh of a human, and came and lived on this sinful, dirty, nasty, perverted world. These are his words. This is his book. I love it. Do you love it? Do you love it like some of these people? Michael Sattler was born in Stauffen, Germany, sometime in the 1490s, long time ago. He eventually became a monk for the Catholic Church near Freiburg, Germany. He was a brave and a bold man who left a very prestigious position in a monastery to follow after the things of Christ. And he's standing here now, and he's in chains. He's been in prison. He's standing in front of the Catholic Church Council. And trust me, listen... That's not a council you wanted to be standing in front of. The Catholic council. And he's standing here and they're charging him with several things. And one of those things is that denying that he denied that infant baptism saves. And listen, that does not save anybody. Infant baptism. Neither does your work save you. Neither does your money giving save you. Neither does your church attendance save you. Neither does your good work save you. But only the blood of Jesus Christ can save your soul from hell. That's the only thing. Christ alone. He is all I need. He is all I need. Christ is all I need. And that's what Michael Sattler understood right here. Started denying that infant baptism saves and he admitted to all these things. Listen, he said, well, everything that you're charging me with, he said, I agree wholeheartedly. You're right. Now who does that at a trial? 
but he's denying that they were contrary to the word of God. And listen to the end of his defense. It's notable. Listen, you have to pay attention here. He says this at his trial. Ye ministers of God, I admonish you to consider the end of which God has appointed you. To punish the evil and to defend and protect the pious. Whereas then, we have not acted contrary to God and the gospel. And you'll find that neither I nor my brethren and sisters have offended in word or deed against any authority. Therefore, ye ministers of God. Listen to this. If ye have not heard or read the word of God. Send for the most learned and for the sacred books of the Bible of whatsoever language they may be, and let them confer with us in the word of God. And if they prove to us with the Holy Scriptures that we err and are in the wrong, we will gladly desist and recant and also willingly suffer the sentence and punishment for that of which we have been accused. But if no error is proven to us, I hope to God that you will be converted and receive instruction. He wanted them to be saved. The town clerk said this right here, Oh, you infamous, desperate villain and monk. Shall we dispute with you? The hangmen shall dispute with you, I assure you. God's will be done, Sattler responded. The town clerk then said, It would be better if you'd never been born, and Sattler responded and said, God knows what's best. You are, Keretic, you have seduced the pious, if only they would forsake their error and accept grace. And grace belongs to God alone. Sattler said. You desperate villain and arch heretic, I tell you, if there were no hangman here, I would hang you myself and think that I had done God's service. Sattler said this last remark, God will judge rightly. There were others with Michael that day, and they were prepared to be as bold as him. When one of the people in the room began to insult Michael and worked himself into such a frenzy that he picked up a sword and threatened Michael. One of the other Anabaptists warned Sattler, don't throw your pearls before swine. Michael didn't. He endured the sentencing in silence. They then tortured him for hours, tore him with tongs, and then burnt him to death at the stake. Margareta, his wife, was not treated so severely as Michael. She was drowned the next day in what authorities like to call death by baptism. And folks, this all happened right there in my hometown. These folks were courageous. And that's what God's looking for. Are you courageous? You say, well, preacher, we don't have to go through that today. You're right. Not right here in Missouri. We don't go through any of that. Not in America, really, we don't go through that. It was here at one time. And if we don't watch it, it'll be here again. You're right, we don't go through that right now. Some countries do. Some countries... Missionaries go through that. National pastors go exactly right through that. I think about our brothers and sisters. Listen, you've got to think about this sometimes. Some of our missionaries that are in like Iran, Saudi Arabia. Oh, folks, we are comfortable here. We are comfortable in Germany. We are comfortable in St. Joseph, Missouri. But there is one way that you and I can be courageous right here. And he's made it really simple for us. All you have to do is just open this right here. Your mouth. Open your mouth and tell folks of the wonderful story. I love to tell the story. Do you really love to tell the story? I wonder tonight if I love to tell the story. God's looking for those three types of Christians tonight. Every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, if you would. Thank you so much for your time and listening. I sure do appreciate the time and the response to the Word of God tonight. 
You know, the music is so important to the preaching and to the service. I love the music. I love it when churches have good, godly, Christian, Christ-adorning music. Oh, I love to adorn the one who saved me. But that's not all we need. We need the preaching. The Bible says that through the foolishness of preaching, men come unto righteousness. That's how men are saved. That's how we hear the gospel, and oftentimes that's how the Holy Spirit starts to convict us. But this is the most important time of the service right here. This is when Christians do business with God. Now, I don't mean to force anything or anything like that. You let the Holy Spirit work inside of you. He can do a better job than anybody can. But if you need to do business with Christ tonight, why don't you just go ahead and do that tonight? Come on down and do business or do it right there where you're at. It's wherever you feel comfortable at. Maybe as the piano starts to play tonight, maybe you're saying tonight, boy, I could be more obedient. I need to be more obedient. I need to obey what God's called me to do. Maybe I'm not obeying the call right now. Maybe I've just really prolonged it and I've pushed it off. And Maybe another time. Oh, may I tell you, before it's too late, he'll get your attention. Why don't you just come on down and surrender to what he wants you to do? Heed the calling. Maybe you're saying tonight, I could be more of a servant. I need to get more involved with the church. Come on down and make that decision to get more involved with the local church. I know that this church and this pastor here could use you, could use the help. Sure. Sure. Maybe you're saying tonight, I could be more courageous. That is where I'm at tonight. I need to be more courageous. Yes, we all need to be more courageous. Courageous for Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe there's somebody here tonight, I don't know you, I don't know your story, but maybe you're here tonight and you're saying this is the first time I've visited, and maybe this is the first time I've been in church in a long time, and I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't know if I were to die tonight that I would go to heaven. But I understand that I need a Savior after the preaching. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, boy, I've been really following my parents. Or maybe I've just been following a religion. Maybe I've just been following the church thinking that's all I need. That isn't it, folks. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you personally know Him? I'm sure someone would love to help you understand that night and show you from the Word of God, scripturally, how you can be saved.